Well, it's good to see you. Uh, my name is Penny, and I'm the pastor here at Christ the King. Uh, if you're a guest or visitor, we're glad that you're with us this morning. And uh, if there's anything that we can do for you, if there's a need that you might have that you'd like to make us aware of, if there's some, some way that we can help, please let me know. You can uh, let Frank know, who was up here earlier, one of our elders. Tell the people around you, uh, greet one another, and, and help us to know how it is that we can love and serve you. Uh, if you're a guest or visitor, we, we really are glad that you're here, and uh, you're welcome. Uh, you're welcome in this place. So, um, good morning. Uh, this morning, we are in Psalm 103, and we only have uh, two more weeks, including this one, so next week's going to be our last week in the Psalms for the summer, and then we'll change course for the fall, but, but this morning, we're in Psalm 103, and Psalm 103 is a hymn. So I said early, early on that the Psalms, all of them, were to be used for corporate worship in the, the worship of God's body, of his people when they would come together, but but the genres differed from psalm to psalm. So we've looked at lament, we've looked at royal psalms, we've looked at praise psalms. This is a hymn psalm. That is the technical genre that is used. And what David is doing is he's singing. He wrote a song of praise to God, singing of what God has done for his people, singing of the love that God shows to his people. So let's hear this song. Psalm 103 of David. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with God so, with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass, he flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. And his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works. In all places of his dominion, bless the Lord, O my soul. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, shortly after Kat and I were married, uh, she was a bridesmaid in a wedding. And it was uh, in the wedding of this girl that we had known from our time doing campus ministry. Kat was very involved in this girl's life when she was in college. And so Kat was a bridesmaid. And so we headed down to this town in Georgia uh, for the wedding. 
and she was the bridesmaid, so she's doing all her bridesmaidy sort of things that they do before the wedding. You know, I'm, I don't know what that is, but they're, you know, they're laughing and giggling and getting all excited, right? That's what they're doing. And so, um, so I'm left by myself because I'm not a bridesmaid. So I'm uh, walking around the church, and this is a very historic church. It's, uh, it was founded and built before the Civil War. And so there's lots of history to it. So I'm looking at the architecture. I'm looking at the, the windows. I'm walking through the pews, and they have these little plaques on them, and they're telling about the different history. And, and I go outside, and I'm standing in the, the lawn out in front of the church, and it was kind of like a courtyard. And, and out in this courtyard was a statue, a statue. And it was a statue of a pastor. It was clear it was a pastor because he's wearing a robe, and, and I think he maybe had like a Bible tucked under his arm. It looked like he was in mid-sentence because... That's what we do, right? We talk. <laughs> that's what pastors do, um, sometimes for too long. But, but that's what we do, right? We talk. And so this is clearly what was going on. So I start thinking, well, you know, maybe it was the founding pastor. But I really don't remember anything about it except for one thing. This statue, this guy had the biggest sideburns I'd ever seen. I mean, they were massive. Like, like they're falling off his face, you know, those bushy kind of, I'm starting to wonder, like, when are those going to come back in style, right? Like, never, never. <laughs> come on. <laughs> so, you know, so anyway, I don't think anything of it until years later. And I'm, I have a friend of mine who, uh, he and his wife were members of that church. In fact, he was one of the pastors there. And so I started talking to his wife and I go, hey, do you know that statue, Sideburns? And she's like, oh yeah. She starts laughing. Those burns are awesome, aren't they? And she tells me the story about this statue. And I assume that's the founding pastor. And she goes, well, actually, Penny, it's not the founding pastor at all. This was a pastor who came later in the day, and, and history has it that, that uh, he actually commissioned the statue to be built himself. <laughs> so I was thinking, you know, maybe out in front of our building, instead of a statue, <laughs> like we could have like a hologram, right? That's like the 21st century. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, no statues, no pictures, nothing like that. Anyway, so, uh, so he built this himself. Now, that was fascinating to me. I, I thought about the brashness. Like, who commissions a statue to be built of himself, right? I mean, why, why would he do that? I started thinking about that, and, and I realized that I, I don't know why he did it. I don't know the history behind it. I obviously can't ask him. But it's not hard to imagine why he did it. Because I imagine that he was probably like David, recognizing his feeble frame, <laughs> And his dustness. I mean, we heard what David said about humanity in verses 15 and 16. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it and it is gone. And its place knows it no more. Our days are like grass and flowers full of life and color and vibrancy. One moment and then the next moment they are gone. It's amazing. He even says its place knows it no more. It was once rooted in that place, and now that place has no recollection. Then maybe this pastor was thinking about that, the day when he will be no more. David says in verse 14, we are but dust. Here today, but the gentlest of winds were blown away. That we are dust. And that's the problem, isn't it? Not just the problem for David or for this pastor, it's the problem for all of us. We are but dust. It doesn't matter your station. It doesn't matter your wealth or your education. We're all dust. And so, so how are we going to deal with that? How are we going to deal with the reality that we are here one moment and then gone the next? 
This man memorialized himself in stone. His feeble frame would fade away, but he hoped that his name would live on. Now, the irony of this, as my friend told me, is that they can't even remember his name. As she told me this story, you have to go back and look in the history books. I don't even think it's written on the statue because he assumed it would carry on. And they can't remember his name. Isn't that amazing? His name had been forgotten. We are but dust, and nothing can solve our dustness. There's nothing that we can do. We can, we can have a statue built. We can have our names written in history books. But we all know that within a generation or two, we will be forgotten. So what do we do with that? Now, I would imagine as David's thinking about this, I mean, this is actually kind of morbid, right? Like, like, Penny, come on, do we have to talk about this this morning, right? I could imagine as David's thinking about this, we would expect him to be filled with despondency, right? And sad and discouraged. Maybe tomorrow is the day when I will be swatted away, blown away by the wind. That's not what he does, is it? In the midst of reflecting on his dustness, David sings. And it's not a song of lament, it's a song of praise. He sings to God, right? That's what he says in verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. To, to bless means to give praise, to give honor, to give glory to God. David is singing praise to God with everything that he is, my soul, everything that is within me, bless his holy name, sing praise to God. How can he do this? When he's confronted by his frailty? Because David's security isn't in the fact that he will be remembered. His, his security isn't in the hope that his name will be spoken of again. His security is in the love of God. It's in the love of God. We actually heard it four times. He spoke of the steadfast love of the Lord. That, that word, steadfast love, we've talked about it a lot as we've been going through the Psalms, and we should because it's all over the Psalms. In fact, that Hebrew word for steadfast love shows up 245 times in the Old Testament, and 127 of them is in the Psalter. Now, what makes that even more amazing is that the book of Psalms, the 150 chapters of the Psalms, it only makes up 8% of the entire Old Testament, and yet over half of the occurrences of God's steadfast love shows up here. So what that means is that the steadfast love of the Lord is foundational to the theology of the Psalms and is foundational to this psalm. The steadfast love of the Lord. See, that's what we need. When we are faced with our frailty, when we are faced with our need, when we are faced with the fact that our feeble frame will be blown away one day, what we need is love. And so the Beatles kind of got it right. All you need is love. They kind of got it right. But we need something more than the love that they were singing of. What we need is the steadfast love of the Lord. What we need is not statues or history books. We need the love that is offered by God, a forgiving and a forever love. And that's the love that God gives to his people. A forgiving and forever love, and that is the love that this psalm sings of. And so that's what I want us to look at. That when confronted by our feebleness and our frailty, what we need is love. A forgiving love. See, three of the four instances of the steadfast love 
are in the context of sin and repentance and forgiveness. We see it in verses 4, 8, and 11. 4, 8, and 11. I want us to look specifically at verse 8. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Now, now we're very familiar with that verse because um, you may not realize this, but this shows up a lot for our assurance of pardon. Right? We declare our sin, we confess it to the Lord, and what do we hear? The steadfast Lord, love of the Lord abounds. He is merciful and gracious to his people. And so we, we say that to one another, we hear it to one another, and, and we can start to think, well, this is clearly, you know, the, the language of the Psalms, right? Maybe it shows up again and again, but actually what's fascinating about this is where it originates. It actually begins not in the Psalms, it begins in Exodus, Exodus chapter 34, God is on the mountaintop with Moses and he declares, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Now what's amazing about that is the context in which he says it. Because you remember what was happening before Exodus 34? You guys know the Exodus story. God's people have been delivered out of slavery, out of bondage. God leads his people through the sea. He walks them through the wilderness and he brings them to the foot of the mountain. And they're there standing. And Moses goes up onto the mountaintop. And the top of the mountain is covered. It's shrouded in cloud. And the people are looking up and they, they can't see anything but lightning. And they're hearing thunder and they're afraid. And so what do they do? They take all their gold and they melt it down. And they form a calf. And they bow down and worship. And Aaron the priest, think about this, Aaron the priest, who was supposed to be the mouthpiece of Moses to Pharaoh, who stood alongside of Moses and declared to Pharaoh that God has said, let my people go. He says to Israel, these are your gods who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And they bowed and they worshiped. I mean, think about the idolatry. They had just witnessed the amazing acts of God. And now they rebel against him and worship something that they made with their own hands. Do you remember what God is going to do? He says to Moses, look at what the people are doing. I'm going to destroy them all and I'm going to start anew with you, Moses. And if he would have done it, he would have been completely justified. And he would have been completely in the right because of their sin and their rebellion. Their sin was real, and friends, so too is ours. David speaks of our iniquity in verse 3. And in verse 10, he speaks of our sins and then iniquities again. Because there's wickedness not just on the part of Israel, there's wickedness on the part of us. They were deserving of God's punishment, and so are we. Now, listen, I, I know in our world today, that's, that, that's not culturally correct to talk about sin, right? It's like mistakes, it's, it's foibles, it's, you know, just, uh, I, I didn't think about what I was saying, and, and it's really not that big. That's how we talk about it. But that is downplaying, actually, the standard in which God has created because we know that there is a standard. In fact, the reason why I know that there is a standard is because when the world witnesses injustice, the world with one voice speaks out against it. We are appalled at the injustice of the world. 
We are appalled when the innocent are destroyed. Not because that there's some moral standard that we have created within ourselves, but because we know that there is a moral standard out there. And that moral standard comes from the Lord. It is derived from his very word. And the truth is, friends, that those who have broken it are not just out there, but they're right here. It's me and you. We have fallen victim to our sin. The author of James, James writes that if you keep the whole law and yet stumble in just one point, you have become guilty of it all. And every one of us has broken it. We've acted in rebellion against God, and so we must acknowledge it, and we must regain the vocabulary of sin, not just in the church, but in the culture. We need to call sin, sin. Not just the sin out there, but the sin in my own heart. Not just mistakes, not just errors, but, but sin. And in realizing this and acknowledging it, we do it not so that we would destroy ourselves, not that we would put ourselves down, but so that we would be fleeing to the one who can deal with the need of our sin. Who can use his love to restore us. And that is the love of God. That's what he did. Do you hear what he says? The Lord, the Lord. That's what he said in Exodus. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. That's what he said to Israel, and that's what he says to us. Look at verses 8 and following. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. That is the love of God. As far as the heavens are above the earth, as far as the east is from the west, like east and west never touch. That is how far our transgressions are removed. Oh, that is beautiful. I mean, hallelujah that God takes our sins, our rebellions, and he removes them that far from us. He forgives his people. It was out of his compassion that he forgave Israel on the mountain. And it was out of his compassion, his love for us, that he forgives us through Christ. I mean, that's why we are forgiven. Because Jesus kept the whole law. Those places where we have stumbled and we have failed, Jesus kept the whole law and he took his, keep, his law keeping and he gave it to you. He imputed it to you. He took all of our sin and he took it upon himself. That's why God doesn't deal with us according to our sins because he dealt with Jesus according to our sins. Jesus took our sins on himself and they were crucified with him so that we would be forgiven. So friends, call your actions what they are. They're sin. They're sin, sinful actions against a holy God. So kids, you need to confess to your parents. What I said was wrong. I'm sorry, will you forgive me? Parents, you need to confess to your kids. I was, wasn't patient when I should have been. I erupted in anger. Will you forgive me? We need to say it to one another. 
I've treated you poorly and not like a brother or sister in Christ. Will you forgive me? We need to call our sin what it is, but we do so so that we would actually have the forgiving love of God rest upon us. That our sins would be wiped clean. That's why we sing. That's why we sing, bless the Lord, O my soul. And to all that is within me, bless his holy name. That is why we sing, because our sins are no more. He doesn't deal with us as our sins, according to our sins, but he has removed them. Our souls have been saved by the forgiving love of God. That is why we sing. But it's not just his forgiving love, it's also his forever love. And I mean, who doesn't want that? A love that lasts forever? Every one of us does. A love that abides forever? But the truth is, in our world, it seems like that's an aberration, doesn't it? I mean, that, that's something that seems to only be found in movies and in romance novels and sappy ballads, right? A love that lasts forever. In fact, I remember a conversation I had uh, when I was in seminary. I was a janitor when I was in seminary. I'll tell you, you learn a lot about people when you pick up their trash and clean their toilets. <laughs> uh, so I was a janitor, and I worked at this um, this. Uh, corporation. It was an electric corporation and uh, lots of engineers, so probably some of y'all would get along well with them. Um, but um, but I, I was walking around. I got to know some of these people because y'all are engineers for guests, right? Okay, okay. Thanks, sir. That wasn't a... Anyway, well, I'll move on. Um, so um, <laughs> I'm walking around. I get to know these people, and, uh, and there's this one time. It's getting near Christmas, and there's this one guy who I've struck up a conversation with repeatedly, and, and I'd come by, and I'd go to pick up his trash, and I'd notice that there's flowers and candy and a present on his desk. Well, it's near Christmas, so clearly this is a gift he's giving to someone. So I say, oh, are those for your wife? And I mean, he did not hesitate. He did not hesitate, and he goes, no, 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 not wife, ex-wife. And it was, if it was for her, it wouldn't be presents and candy. It would be arsenic and rat poisoning. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I don't know what to say to that. <laughs> like, Merry Christmas, happy holidays, right? Like, so I just kind of walk away, and, and uh, I, I think I said, had a good, had a, have a good night, uh, hope you have a good weekend, or something like that, and I walk away, and I realized um, I was pretty sad. I was pretty sad for that statement, and I started wondering, what, what happened to that man? What happened to that relationship? Because at one time, surely that man said to that woman, I love you. And I bet at some point he said to her, I will always love you. What happened there? I, I, I wasn't sure, but, but I know that there was sadness and sorrow, pain and hurt that would cause him to say something like that. And the truth is, is that every one of us has seen that before. Some of you, it's because you've experienced the brokenness of promised love. You've experienced it for yourselves. Others of us, we know it because we've witnessed it in our friends and our families. And when we hear it and we see it and we experience it for ourselves, it's easy to wonder, is God fickle like that? Is God's love breakable like the loves that we've experienced and seen? I mean, have, have you wondered that? Will God's love be there 
even in my sin? Will it continue on even in my rebellion? Will, will God's love be blown by the wind? I imagine that some of us have wondered that. We've wondered if God is fickle, if his love will fade like ours does. But listen, friends, our love is fickle because of our frailness. It fades because of our frame, but not God. Look at verses 14 and following. He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The steadfast love of the Lord. I said the first three instances of the steadfast love had to do with repentance and in the context of sin. The fourth one shows up in the forever love of the Father. From everlasting to everlasting. His love isn't fickle, it's forever. From everlasting to everlasting. We can't comprehend it because we've never experienced something like this outside of God himself. And yet that is what the Bible promises, that God has loved you before the foundations of the earth. That's what Ephesians 1 tells us, that, that he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us. In love. Before the world was ever formed, God's affections were directed towards his people. Before the world was even formed. That love that began before the world began. It continues today and it extends into eternity. From everlasting to everlasting. And so you know what that means? It means that you are secure in him. That that is something that he will never remove. That that is something that he does not take away. That his love is unbreakable. That we are secure if you trust in Christ, his love rests upon you now and forevermore. Jesus said, greater love has no one than this, than that someone should lay down his life for his friends. And then he said, you are my friends. The love of Christ is so great that he would lay down his life for you. I mean, think about it. Do, do you think that Jesus would go to the cross and take our sin upon himself and the wrath of God upon himself, that he would be buried and then rise again to shower you with love to then remove it from you? Never. That's not why he would do it. It's so that that love would rest on you forever. From everlasting to everlasting. It was out of love that Christ died. It was out of love that he rose. It was out of love that he has united us to himself forever. That is why in acknowledging our sin and facing our frailty, when we're staring at our feebleness, we can sing. We sing, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Benefits like forgiving and forever love. So friends, do you know that love? Does that rest upon you? It is what you long for, it's what you desire. 
It is the love that you need. Well, I don't know for sure why that man had that statue built. We can guess, we can wonder, and we probably have a pretty good idea. <laughs> right? He wanted to be remembered. He wanted forever. And friends, the truth is, all of us do. We all long for forever. In fact, the Bible tells us that, Jesus, that, that God has placed eternity in the hearts of man. We long for it. We want it. We desire it. We hope for it. And yet we know that we are dust, and in a few generations we will be forgotten. Except by God. Except by God. For those who have known the forgiving love of God, he will know us for all our days and for all eternity. You know, in the book of Revelation, it speaks of the book of life. And in the book of life, we're told that there have been names written in that book before the foundations of the world. That there are names written in the foundation, before the foundations of the world, names of those whom God has placed his forgiving and forever love upon. And those names, they will not be blotted away. They will not be erased. But they remain in that book. That, that those are the names of God's people who will live with him in his love forever. And in that day, when those names are read, people will sing. We will bow before him and say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We will say God and his people have joined together, will live and dwell for all eternity together. That he is our God and we are, are his people. Now and forevermore we will sing. But friends, even until that day, we still sing. And we actually join with all of creation. Jesus himself said that if his disciples would not sing out to him, the rocks would cry. We sing with all of creation. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. We sing, bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places for his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. That is what we sing. We sing of the forever and forgiving love of God today and forevermore. We sing, bless the Lord, O my soul. Father, we do bless you and we praise you and we worship you and we declare that you are our God. We are those who have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. We have turned our hearts away from you, but you have forgiven us. You have shown us grace and mercy, kindness and love. And so we praise you. And we say with one voice, bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. We bless you, our God and our King, in whose name we pray. And God's people said together, Amen. I'll invite the ushers to come forward and we'll take this morning.